Joshua, are you trying to give us hope? I try to give you some good news. There, there Thank is you. hope out there. The world will not end. I promise. <laughs> that was actually good. And welcome back to part two of Are We Day Yet? The COVID-19 Experience, exploring civil unrest. In the first episode, we covered a lot on everything that's going on in the States with George Floyd, the protest Black Lives Matter, and the impact that has from a corona standpoint. In this episode, we're wanting to look at more general issues that we've seen from civil unrest, how that term is kind of being manipulated across different sectors and different age groups, and also what the future looks like and how government powers are going to be implemented as we go forward and really what the end result is. So I'm excited for part two. I think both bits are fantastic, um, but but part two really gives that kind of gravitas of what we have to see coming in the future. So I'm excited for this, Ines. Any, any other thoughts? Yeah, three. I liked it very much. That's all we need to sell it. So here we have part two of our interview with Joshua from the R Foundation's podcast. Please enjoy. People not recognizing lockdown. So for me, this is another aspect of civil disobedience. Normally we see civil disobedience as standing up to power for your rights, yes? But when you consider your rights to be, I don't want to be killed by the police versus I really want to have a party. Um, yes. That is also civil disobedience. It's the wrong kind. It's, it's the kind I don't support. Um, but here in the UK, for example, we have been seeing a lot of that. It's deeply frustrating to me because in both my countries, in Spain and in Greece, people have been locked at home, literally not going out for any reason. And they have uh, complied with that. They have just said, okay, like this is what it is. It's happening already. Um, and here in the UK, because of looser governmental guidance, we are seeing people who think that it's totally my right to go have a Tinder date. Sorry, you know, this is like my one thing. Um, <laughs> and, and they are breaking lockdown for that. And, and I think this is civil disobedience turned on its head and just made instead, instead of an expression of a human right to stand up to power, it's made into an expression of the worst side of humans, which is despite guidance and protection I'm supposedly getting from government, I am going to ignore that. Yeah, yeah well, it's like the, the original protest before the uh, big ones we're talking about now, but the protests over lockdowns. Uh, I would think that you would get a lot further if you made a case for being personally responsible in that even if there were not lockdown measures that, well, we are responsible enough to handle our own health, to assess our own risks, to take certain precautions as much as we can, and businesses could do this, individuals can do this, theoretically that's possible, but when you have a giant protest with, say, 200 people and no one's wearing a mask, and they're all one foot away from each other yelling and screaming, that's not really making a good case for yourself. That's proving that you do not have the responsibility to take responsibility for your own actions and for the safety of others. And so even though they're protesting their freedoms and they're protesting for more liberty, it seems like they are at the same time maybe taking away other people's freedom and liberty to mm -hmm. walk around in a safe environment. 
And mm-hmm. so it's contradictory to what they say they're protesting. And we see this, yeah, with all of these things. It's like there's these core true principles behind something and then they just get totally corrupted and it's just a mess that ends up being contradictory to whatever the original issue was and yeah, yeah it's not very effective yeah because this is an issue of how, how far do you trust human nature because in the end humans it appears um are fighting for their own freedom like literally the individual's freedom not the collective's freedom um, and I'm not saying that it's obviously not the same for the riots in the US and other parts of the world as uh, for people just like screaming for a haircut or a barbecue or whatever it is they do. Um, so the thing is that we are seeing the worst side of human nature that is just being individualistic. It is not taking into account the, collect- the collective good at a time when the collective good should be top of mind. This is something that affects everybody, and we should all be protecting like the human race. It's true, but like the way we've again coming back to the generational thing of how things have advanced, that's that's not how we are anymore. It's it's not the collective good. It's not World War Two times yeah. of everyone band together and we'll get through this. It's no nah, screw you. I want to get on with my own stuff. It's me, me, me kind of mentality, and yeah. I, I I think the biggest frustration from me from from a from a protest angle so obviously two weeks ago you were right there were literally people picketing that they wanted to get a haircut um and that is one of those things where you go shut up go home let's let's worry about bigger things now we've got a protest that is extremely important and is an issue that needs to be addressed and everyone is tired of and, and sick of seeing those videos um because this isn't just once in a blue moon this is there was videos a month before that, a month before that. It's just, it's been kind of nonstop. And it's it's that logic of they couldn't sit on it. They couldn't have just said, okay, you know, very upset about what happened to, to George Floyd. Minute lockdown's over, we're going into the streets and, and protesting it. No, of course not. That's, that's not how the world works. That's not how human mentality works. You're angry now. You want to solve things now. And... It's 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 literally the powder keg of all of this happening to go into it, and the fact that this report came out today that you know Bain backgrounds, as I was mentioning, suffer so much more from this um, in the sense of comparing to previous years, all cause of morality was four times higher than expected among black males for the period, three times higher in Asian males, and almost two times higher in white males. You know, four times higher for black males, and we're seeing mass gatherings in one of the countries that is struggling the most with cases it's scary and there's there seems to be no conversation about it and obviously the conversation needs to be on the issue that's happening but is no one scared is it just me that's kind of concerned about what's going to happen two weeks from now are we going to see a boom in cases in the states again is there enough kind of systems in place to prepare for that uh, I, I, I doubt there are, um, but also now more I don't have the answer about, so we are saying one crisis is bigger than the other. So COVID-19 is bigger than like racist killings from police to black people. It's, it's kind of a hard balance to hold in your mind, no? Because yeah, you, you, go, can't, okay. you can't make the argument either way. Yeah. And what, what are you going to do on the other hand, if you are seeing this, this hideous display of violence and abuse of power? 
well, yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic, but that should be resisted anyway. But how do you do it, you know, safely? And I, I can give the uh, the counter argument to the doom and gloom scenario of the pandemic. And uh, so as a disclaimer, it doesn't necessarily mean, and I am not saying that the virus doesn't exist and it's no big deal. So uh, please take that in mind. But um, there was a recent revision by the CDC in the States who has now said that out of all symptomatic cases, and according to the data we have now, it's roughly 50% of people that are exposed to the virus end up being symptomatic. So um, out of those that are symptomatic in the age bracket of zero to 49, so under 50, the lowest estimate they have for the fatality rate is 0.02%. And their their highest estimate is 0.1%. Their best guess scenario is 0.05% mortality rate for those that are symptomatic with COVID. Um, I also then looked up, I did this recently just uh, for another purpose, but um, I also looked up the tests and how accurate the tests are. And apparently, depending on the source you look at, there is a 15 to 30% false negative rate on the tests where it says you're positive even though, or sorry, it says you're negative even though you really have it. And so if you look at this, um, the stats are very different than what the World Health Organization originally was estimating at a uh, 3.5% to 4% fatality rate. Uh, That's very different than a 0.05% fatality rate. And so there are some people that would see this data and see what they see in their everyday life. Outside of the big cities, most hospitals are completely empty and dead. So I have multiple, well, my wife has two or three different nurses that work in different states um, in the states, and they have all said the same thing, that their hours are being cut, that the hospitals are dead, no one's coming in, everything's shut down. They have some COVID cases. Most of them are not that big of a deal, although there are those that are and that go in the ICU and don't make it. Um, But when you start hearing this narrative, a lot of people are less vigilant and so especially when you look at smaller cities and more rural areas that are not hit very hard the hospitals are empty the fatality rates are nowhere near what they expected originally and you still have the exact same lockdown scenarios you have in new york city Um, a lot of people look at that as being a little too much and a little exaggerated and unfortunately instead of, I guess, using critical thinking and assessing that scenario and looking at the data, that usually people just go to the extreme opposite and say, oh, well, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. Let's just go out and do our normal things. And again, like you get back to that idea of selfishness and I'm going to do what I want to do. And we live in this culture of consumerism and entertainment and convenience. That's what people focus on. Uh, people are not reading uh, Plato in their free time. Uh, our education system, uh, by my assessment, personally at least, is abysmal. And so when you mention someone like Thomas Hobbes or John Locke, the average American has no clue what you're talking about. And so when you have issues of state power and political theory and economics, and they don't even know the difference between, say, Keynesian economics and Austrian economics, then how in the world are they going to understand what's happening in the world, much less make an educated opinion on it, much less decide how they're going to act in their everyday life in relation to all of these things? 
it, it just seems like uh, a, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for that, unfortunately. Um, but that is kind of the other side of things is that according to the data, at least, it's not nearly as fatal as they were originally estimating. A lot of places are not seeing the severity that somewhere like China and Spain and New York City have seen. And you have other places like uh, Japan and Vietnam and places like this that did not do mandatory shutdowns and their numbers don't really seem to be any worse. You've got like Sweden that did the same thing, but at least in Sweden, people seem to have solidarity and they just followed the recommendations without being forced. Um, But these are the kinds of things that Americans are seeing, and it's usually from like alt-right media or the far-left CNN stuff, and they just take these extremes of either if you walk outside your door, you're killing grandma, or if you wear a mask, then you're just like bowing to the power of the fascist state, and it's neither one of those things, and that's that's what's aggravating to me is that you have both sides and both do have some legitimate points, but it seems like the concept of using critical thinking to apply them together and see how they mesh and see what reality is, that doesn't seem to be there. Yeah. Um, I think like it, the, the question that springs to mind here is what are we, are we trusting people's common sense and here okay. like small note, I would like to, I would like to say that common sense is not really an existing phrase. For example, in, well, no, it is. But um, in Spanish, I wanted to say, no, there is, there is such a phrase. Um, but I'm seeing here uh, the UK government going like, oh, the British have common sense. And we are going to just trust that and trust that everyone is going to, to do the best for everybody. No, the British are humans uh, as such, very flawed. Um, in, Span- in Spain, for example, there was no such thing, or in Greece. It was like, no, I don't care about your common sense, I don't care about your excellent morals and your you know, upstanding citizen character, you are staying at home. If you are outside your home, you will get fined. Problem solved. Well, this is the problem with the British government, um, from, from my cynical view at least. It, it seems like they are giving very loose ideas and we've spoken about this before in NASA they're giving very loose guidelines and you know oh it does make sense if you properly read the 80 page report we've released um of what's going on but in reality I was saying this to a friend earlier they're giving enough rope for us to hang ourselves with that if there is a second spike they can quite easily turn around and go guys we told you we we did tell you not to do that um, yeah. But there's no enforcement. There's no. There's there's nothing there. It's not like Spain or, or Greece or Italy where you had to fill out forms to go out. Your the logic was taken away. It, it's like yeah, you know, do this, do that, and we'll see what happens. And we're seeing it now. We're still at 500 cases a day being confirmed, but we're opening up schools and we're opening up shops in a week and all of this kind of stuff that countries that are now spain recorded zero deaths yesterday for the first time since march i know have been on a very strict and now they're just getting back to normal and reopening everything and bringing it and i think it comes back to your original point of the civil disobedience of and i don't think it's even intentional i think people are just bored and they've been given enough to half permission to do what they want so they're gonna do it and why not you know it it comes that that they were never told no and they've been told, yeah, you can go out and see people, but just with these restrictions, and people are just taking it and running with it. Yeah, no, but but no, 
because in essence the government is failing in its mission that it is being paid for to protect people against themselves. It's not only the outside enemy that you have to protect your people again against. You have to protect people against their worst instincts. instincts. Oh, this y- is why we have government. A logical government, yes, but a British government is a, <laughs> is a tough upper lip. Get on with it. Yeah, what's that? Take keep it on calm and carry yeah. on. You know, keep, oh take it on God. the chin. We're in this together. That's the British logic of, of how things are approached. And and as I said, they've done it very, very cleverly that they really can't be blamed. Uh, America's kind of the same way with that. And you mentioned like a second wave coming and what is going to get blamed for that. And I do see that narrative being set up where there is all this unrest, there's all these protests, and these were happening uh, before the riots. You had the protests over the lockdown, then you had the riots. And it did seem like if you have all of these people out and about, they're protesting state power in a sense, and they're out and about doing what they want to do, and they want to make their own choices, have their own decisions, have their own liberties and freedoms, well, then when the second wave does come, because no matter what, there will be more people that are getting infected. This isn't just disappearing overnight. Um, it, it will be easy for governments to say, hey, see, citizens, we told you to stay at home. We recommended these different guidelines. Uh, you chose to disobey and to protest. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then it kind of squashes that freedom mentality. It's, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, state. We should listen to you, you know, wholeheartedly next time without questioning your, your you know, gracious <laughs> demands. And it, it's just a little ridiculous, but I kind of see that happening. And like uh, one oh, yeah. random, hopefully it's an anecdotal example, but um, I kind of doubt it. But I've seen multiple videos from the riots in the States where there were pallets of bricks laying in the middle of the street, yes. right where the riots were happening with no construction whatsoever going on anywhere near it. And uh, you also saw with the freedom protests, there were uh, some people that were these bad actors that were instigating things a lot more, even though there was a peaceful protest going on. Um, You could definitely see how you could have people with different motives that want to make the movements look bad. Um, They could then uh, get the crowd and incite the crowd to violence or towards irrationality. In the States, they say that a lot of the looters and rioters are from out of state in most of these big cities around the U.S. And so you have people that aren't locals that are coming in, and then there's obviously something weird going on with having bricks in the middle of the street and things like that. Um, It's just, it's very strange, but I could definitely see how when the second wave hits, whether it's in the next two weeks or whether it's next flu season, that uh, they will say, the powers that be would say, well, you know, we need more control. You need to do what you're told. We are going to instigate these things and this will be the new normal. You are going to like it. We have proved that you cannot handle this yourselves, citizenry. And so listen up, follow orders. This is the way it's going to go. And there won't be a lot of pushback because there was pushback this time and it got totally derailed and it, you know, they'll say it ruined everything and, you know, spread COVID everywhere. But the whole idea of the lockdown originally was to flatten the curve. Uh, When you look at a graph and the curve is more flat, you still have the same number of cases and you still have the same number of deaths. It's just instead of getting them all at once, 
and then them going back down and it's a sharp rise and sharp fall it's spread out over a long period of time that's yeah. that was the claim for that that being the goal so that the medical system didn't didn't get overwhelmed well i know in the states yeah. uh, the medical system is not overwhelmed and we have at least in my local area uh, the curve has not flattened either but i'm in the south and people don't listen to rules and so that's largely the reason but the point is that the medical system is not overwhelmed even if we did perfectly flatten the curve like we expected there would still be the same number of cases and the same number of deaths and so uh, for some reason the narrative seems to have changed that instead of flattening the curve what we're really trying to do is get rid of this virus entirely have a vaccine and you know all of a sudden people don't die of anything virus related that's uh, not realistic I, i'm not quite sure what the expectation is here but if the goal was to flatten the curve then either we did it or we didn't uh, and now we're on the other side of that in most places we will have another spike at some point and how do we handle that given the data and the information that we have seen now and then who's going to be blamed for that second spike and that kind of stuff that's that's what i'm paying attention to it seems like it'll be very interesting to see how all that unfolds mm -hmm. but all of this that you're saying it sounds very convenient no to me yes. it sounds like everything's working out perfectly for some people who had to make hard decisions and then somehow contrived to not make them and still win well this is what we spoke about in the first episode we we were saying that of course bill gates did not release COVID 19 but those powers that be those higher ups of course they're going to benefit from this we had that discussion in the first episode if you remember about how they're going to capitalize on it and they're going to find ways to make money off of it and they're going to find a way to make it benefit them. Someone yeah. is always winning. Someone is always winning. And it, it's interesting to see the shift. And I 100% agree with you in, in regards to all of that, Joshua, and in the sense of how it's going to progress. And I find the attitude shift really interesting across the world. Like, you don't need to read studies or, or read articles to get that feel of think about how it was when this first started in like March and April of that kind of, oh, look at people singing from the balconies and this unity and self-improvement thing. Even before these riots happened, the mood was definitely souring. And this was always my concern of why I wanted to do this episode of everyone is getting tired and everyone's getting frustrated. And especially in this country, everyone's done. It appears like everyone is yeah. finished following the rules um, and then it's left to Pete Muggins like me and Ines, who are just like, we're going to keep following the rules, even though it feels like two against a hundred at this point, who are floundering the rules and doing what they want. And it, it is a hundred percent civil disobedience. They don't mean to, they just don't care anymore. They're, they do mean to though, because they think that their own convenience, um, is bigger than the worth of following the rules. So for example, I'm going to take my personal pet peeve. Um, the VE day parties, uh, oh, yes. that's, that's very much done. And we haven't done like, you know, extraordinary celebrations uh, about the end of the Second World War in the last God knows how many years. It's always been, as far as I know, Max informed me, um, kind of, okay, it's a, it's a cool day. We're we are happy. We're not at war. Yeah, and, like, small villages would have like little get togethers, but it wasn't what we were seeing across yeah. the country of street like, parties. Things and very well, and you know, everyone's happy that they're not being bombed. Excellent, me, I'm happy too. Um, but suddenly, it appears that this is a matter of first priority. It's super important to celebrate these 75 years 
of peace. Wonderful. It's really important. I am very glad it got me in my lifetime. Um, but what does it weigh in relation to the other crisis we are going through right now? It's like celebrating the end of a war when, when you're still in another war. Yeah, you're, you're, you're fighting a battle. It's just it's an invisible enemy. So it's, I don't know, I, it's, it, this is mainly coming from a, a point of frustration. And I don't know how it is over there, Joshua, in terms of, because obviously states are different, towns, cities, it varies so drastically as you go across the country. But obviously here being a smaller island, it, it's a lot more dense and it's a lot more compact. And um, especially in London, for example, it's um, everyone's just on top of each other because there's, there's just so many people. Um, and it, it's, it is just that kind of frustration of going back to how it was and that there's been a, a lot of reports and a lot of high-ranking chief officials who are concerned that if we do have to go back, we're going to see higher numbers of civil unrest. And I think that's that's true. And there's going to be a lot of frustration when... So say, for example, we get released end of July, no more cases in the UK, everyone go back to normal. Ines has spoken about this before. We as a nation go a bit hard on the drinking and the partying as a general term, I would say. I know, right? Shocking. Um, (laughs) And it's going to be anarchy. It's going to be a new form of social unrest of just freedom to do whatever the hell you want is how everyone's going to view it. And that is... I don't want to sound like a square and be like, that's bad but it, it is kind of scary to think that there's just going to be this I don't care attitude after all of this is ending and that's going to lead to a lot of problems for the next six months afterwards because I think people are forgetting what comes after all of this as well but there is already because here in the UK I'm sorry to break it to you but the weather is horrible for <laughs> no. the end yet uh, for almost the entire year and then for once there is nice weather. Me, I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you. Uh, and people go, okay, uh, it's clearly more important to be in the sun than to behave during this, again, pandemic. Um, and so my right to have fun is more important than my right, my, my duty to protect the rest of the community. So again, we are saying that we're just going back to the individual. Okay, everyone else, like, in a sense, these people are saying, cool, some people will die because of my actions, and that's okay with me. That's what and you that's were saying. Different. Yeah, I 100% agree, because the British mentality is very much, we get two months of sun, let's get out and enjoy as much as possible. That is a very depressing reality. But it, it's what you were saying, Joshua, in, as well, in terms of, um, okay, so in the UK, 39,000 people have died. Horrific number. But when you put it in the grand scale of how many people live on this island, a lot of people will go, well, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to hit me or anything like that. It's always that logic, isn't it? And same for the States. I don't know how many millions live in the States. And you compare that to the number of cases. It's it's ridiculous, isn't it? And that's the selfish mentality. And I don't even think some people are being intentionally selfish. They're not going like, well, screw grandma down the street. I'm off out down the pub. There's, there's just there's no link. Yeah, That's what, what I think is the, the issue. What's this mathematics that people are doing? I have complained about this in the past, um, in another episode. What is this Boris coming saying? If this had been a catastrophe, thirty thousand deaths are not a catastrophe. Like talk me through that. Well, the original number, if if they did no lockdown and they proceeded with the herd 
uh, immunity plan. I think it was the scientist prediction was 250,000 deaths in the UK. I think it was even more than that. Yeah. The Imperial College study. Yeah, it was super high. It was a really, yeah. really high number. So in his mind, hey, we're not hitting half a million deaths. We're only hitting 39. And the fact that you have to say only is disgusting, really. But um, sorry, Joshua, we went on a rant about England then. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> can I can I play the bad guy for a minute? Go on. Yeah, go on. Okay, cool. So uh, I, I will not defend the attitude of selfishness where I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And that that is the prominent one. But I will say that there is an argument to be made. I'm not saying it's a correct argument, but I, I at least want it to be on the record that there is a legitimate argument that given the data that we have and that the numbers are so far uh, lower than what they originally estimated. And on top of that, like in the States, if you as a hospital have a COVID patient, then you get federal dollars for that. And if you have a death that's coded as a COVID death, which you can do without even having a positive test, you get, I think it's something like $39,000 of federal money. If you have someone that goes Jesus. on a ventilator, then you get a, another you know, set of, I think it's like $8,000 of federal money. And so there's this uh, very odd incentive system here to make sure that every single COVID death plus some are being recorded because the more that are there, the more money you get from the feds. And so if anything... We see that the uh, the numbers of those who have died from COVID are higher. At, at the very least, we are counting every single COVID death. It's not like they're getting missed. People are dying, and that's well known. They're not just dying in the woods and no one knows about it, or dying and then them not counting it as COVID. Everyone that's dying of COVID is getting marked as a COVID death, and then pro probably a few more. But when you look at the number of cases, so if you're doing like a, a ratio, a, a numbers analysis here, you want to know how many people are infected versus how many people died. And that's how you find those ratios. Well, the number of people infected, uh, last I looked, it was about a week ago, something like 2 to 3% of the U.S. population has been tested. And like I mentioned before, the tests could be as high as 30%. Um, inaccurate as far as saying that you're negative even though you're positive. And so there is definitely a case to be made for the fact that not all of the people who have had COVID are actually included in those numbers, but definitely all and probably more than all who have died of it are included. And so even if you take these new numbers by the CDC and their estimates is a 0.05 fatality rate for the under 50 range at least, then it doesn't look nearly as bad because it's either that or it's even lower. And then I think about 50% of the deaths have occurred in nursing homes and long-term care facilities, mm -hmm. which is bad. That That's a very bad thing. I, hopefully no one would argue that. But what I would argue is that those are areas that you could isolate, you could institute lockdown measures and mm -hmm. keep them very sanitary. And there's yeah. preventative measures that can be taken place for those who are at risk, which is a very small minority of the population. And it doesn't seem like it is anything close to what was originally being uh, promoted that basically, you know, you could be a healthy young middle-aged person and you've got a 50-50 shot if you get infected. It's like, no, you've, you've got a 99.09% .09 shot. And so you're probably going to be fine. Uh, and that is not to say that this isn't a big deal at all. Uh, hopefully I've made that clear, but 
there is an argument to be made for the fact that maybe the measures that were taken by governments were a little too strong and that maybe some of uh, those procedures that had been enacted and some of the preventative measures that were put in place uh, might need to be adjusted as the numbers are adjusted. So if you go from a 3% fatality rate was the original estimate to a 0.03% fatality rate, um, why with that gigantic discrepancy being realized, now we know this, it's coming from the CDC, it's not you know some conspiracy website, uh, this, these are official numbers. Now that we have those and they're constantly being updated, uh, why haven't any of the procedures been updated? Why haven't any of the lockdowns be, been updated? I do know that a nursing care facility or a big city like New York or London or somewhere like that, you could make some good arguments for having lockdowns and being very strict under those conditions because those are the risky conditions. But what about the rest of the country? If you look at America, the majority of America is rural and they are not having these issues. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. There is not this you know, major catastrophe pandemic playing out but they're still under a lot of these same lockdown procedures and the regional politicians are taking all the power they can and becoming these little mini dictators. And um, they don't seem to be wanting to relinquish any of these powers and things that they have done. And so there is an argument to be made at least that uh, there might be too much power in state hands and uh, instituted by state actions in certain cases. Now, I, I don't see anybody uh, making that argument logically and uh, and really playing out those different ideas in any of the reports and articles I have read. It's usually all one side or all the other. But um, I would say that there is an argument to be made there. It, it's just I'm not really seeing that one. I'm just seeing the selfish one of I'm going to do what I want to do. Screw you. And uh, unfortunately, that seems to be the way things are playing out. Joshua, are you trying to give us hope? Um, I so, try no, to give you some good news. There, there is hope you. out there. The world <laughs> will not good. end, I promise. <laughs> that was actually good. Um, but I do hear what you're saying about too much power. Back to what I said about power wanting to stay in place. So once you expand your little circle of power, you want that to stay. You don't want less again. Um, and this power in place i think two things first it is trying to expand we know that like that's what power does um and second it's panicking because it takes really really clever really informed people really level-headed people to institute measures as rational as what you're explaining right now or actually the opposite of what you're saying is happening um so we appear not to have these people in, in, in positions of influence and the people that are in positions of power they panicked they, they, they just went okay you know uh, blanket measure everyone home forever or whatever you want guys do whatever you want I'm not I'm, I wash my hands of this um, so what we're seeing here is really oh this is depressing we are seeing here that we are in the hands of a kind of stupid kind of power <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. I hate saying it. Well, humans do react in that Hegelian dialectic where you have um, problem, reaction, solution. And what we, I think, are trying to promote is that you insert thinking, critical 
critical thinking in between each one of those. So you have a problem, you think about it critically, (laughs) then you have a reaction, and then you assess that critically before you have a solution and jump on board something. But unfortunately, these civilians, as well as um, the people of power, they both seem to just be, you know, they see a problem, they automatically react, they automatically go for whatever solution pops up, and it's done. And yeah, it's, it's a bit of panic, like you say. Yeah, we are moving further and further away from that critical thinking at an alarming rate. I think the ice caps are melting slower than that, so it's worrying. <laughs> oh, that was, that was dark. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I could talk about a subject all day. There's, there's so much to kind of cover, and um, th- there's been attacks on essential workers and, and people just trying to do their jobs to protect. All, all of this stuff has been going on. It is another element of, of what we should be talking about as well, but I, I'm conscious of time and, and us having to wrap up, so I want to throw a final question out to both of you. In terms of social unrest and, and what we're seeing, I, I think there's a lot of disconnects we've spoken about. Of people understanding there is no magical day of just, oh, let's just go back to, to February 28th and that's just how it's going to be. Even Spain now going back to normal with no dust, uh, the social distancing is in place, things have changed. Yeah. Everything is going to be different in terms of how things are approached. So is this just the tip of the iceberg of... And I'm talking long term here, how people are going to react to governments, are we going to see shifts, where are we going to see these shifts, and really, what is your kind of view from a social unrest angle of the post-COVID world, if I start with you, Ines? Um, so there's a, there's a case that comes to my mind, uh, it's about the 2008 um, Greek riots. This happened just when the crisis was sort of getting installed and after the murder again by a policeman of a 16-year-old boy. This sparked riots. Uh, the death happened on uh, December 16th and there were, de- I don't know how many days it was, I think it was like more than a week. Uh, don't take my word for it. Um, but the, like the entire city burned. Uh, mm-hmm. Athens, the center of Athens burned. Every year, this is repeated as kind of a ritual to sort of honor that boy who was murdered and to condemn police brutality. So the issue is no longer in hand, right? We haven't had another teenager dying at the hands of a policeman. Horribly, this is horrible. Um, But still, this is repeated. And I think it's something that when you... um, How to put it? When the people see that violence is a resort, good or bad, or bad, I'm not going there. When, when the people see that violence is a resort and it's a way of, express, of expressing dissatisfaction with power, this keeps happening. It, it becomes another medium to express dissent. And I can't help but think that now we are proving again and again every day you know, in all these regions that are behaving like this, um, in reaction to their governments. And I'm either talking about V-Day parties or riots or breaking lockdown for whatever reason. You are just giving another another weapon to people. This can be good or bad, again. Um, I, I don't think it's going away. I think people are just going to realize that rioting or civil disobedience or ignoring government advice is something that can be done with little consequence. And, and 
people are not going to give that away either. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more vocal dissent against the government and riots and disobedience are going to become more of a staple than they are now. Now, I don't mean to say this that I don't approve. I do think that people should criticize power. I do think that we should stand up against what government does that we don't agree with. But it does make the balance more complex, no? It makes the social contract more complex. Like, okay, are we giving the government power? In what terms? What are we going to do when those terms are stepped on? But perfectly said, perfectly said. Joshua, your your thoughts? Well, um, so one of the theories that I have, at least, is that as we look forward in the developments of political shifts and uh, these types of things happening around the world, I believe we are shifting more towards uh, the idea of technocracy and the idea of a technocracy. Mm -hmm. It's not Google running the world. It's um, that you have experts that are using data, using the scientific method. They are using surveillance, collecting all this data, making decisions objectively. And these experts are the ones running things and managing things, not uh, corrupt and incompetent politicians. And this is an idea that came up out of the 20s and the 30s, and a lot of the aspects go way back to Plato. So it's not a new thing. But uh, I personally think that that's the shift we're going towards. And especially as we see with this COVID pandemic, a lot more focus is being put on experts, whether that be doctors or scientists or the World Health Organization. It's not necessarily your elected officials in your country. Um, Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are actually getting a lot of criticism. I know you guys have criticized yours, and um, I haven't criticized mine, but I have plenty of criticisms for Trump. I think that's too easy. (laughs) Please Um, do. I'll pass on that. No, it's it's not worth it. (laughs) Yes, it's basically, you know, yeah. Uh, Don't even have to. So the point is that the national governments are losing a lot of confidence and power and experts and world organizations and global issues, as well as very regional and localized politics and issues are getting a lot more attention. And so I believe that that shift will continue and that people will focus more on these global issues like global warming and terrorism and global pandemics and all of these types of things, um, and that will have more unification amongst um, humanity all around the world on these global topics with some global corporations or organizations, I should say, at the head. Things like the Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, um, World Health Organization, the UN, places like that where you have these international groups. It's not necessarily elected politicians. It's more experts from around the world that get together and assess things. And so I see that getting more power and I see local issues being... Uh, playing a bigger role in society all around the world. And what I think personally is that as we have this unrest that plays out around the world, it's going to play out. And what it will do is shift this power uh, just the way I laid out, where power will get shifted more regionally and get shifted more globally and shifted away from a national center. And I think people will become unified in that And in doing so, I think people will end up basically subjecting themselves to even greater power. Um, Unfortunately, I'm looking at like a Brave New World scenario where um, you have everybody is being tracked and traced and all this data is being collected. You have surveillance everywhere. 
And we actually do have that. We have the phrase uh, contact tracing. That's mainstream now. Uh, whereas five years ago, that was a conspiracy theory that never would happen. It's a sci-fi dystopian novel. Um, but no, that's reality today. <laughs> and so I, I see these things actually getting used. And I see this coming into play where uh, people are satisfied. They are content. They are entertained. And they are more unified around these overall global ideals and these, uh, this global leadership and a global narrative. And um, they have their squabbles with their... Overall, people are more uh, unified and content and um, kind of just living their lives. They might have a universal basic income or whatever the case may be. Basically, they feel like they can stay at home, raise a family, have a job, be content, and that's their life and they're happy. And so uh, that's kind of what I see playing out is that you'll have this unrest. It will cause some shifts in different power dynamics. And then we'll end up with a society that's definitely different. But I don't know, on one hand, more peaceful and more content. On another hand, um, more, I guess, subjected to an overall power um, that they're no longer questioning anymore. Um, that's kind of my, my theory, at least I'm just throwing ideas out here, but that's where I'm going with it. Terrifying. Thank oh. you for that. <laughs> I will not sleep easy tonight. And I also like that I got flashbacks to episode one in there as well. I think, uh, I think that was a perfect coverage. Um, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I weirdly agree, but I don't want to agree with you, Joshua, but I, I think... agree. I would love to be wrong about all this. I would love to be wrong, but it, the signs it, are there. I... Yeah, they're there, unfortunately. I hate that. I know. What a way to end the episode, eh? Um, okay, hey, no, 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 wait, wait. I have a positive note. Okay, take yes. us out on a positive, Joshua. We are all individuals, and we all have some freedoms and liberties that we can express. And we have this wonderful technology called the internet, as well as many other technologies and information out there. We personally can educate ourselves, we can take care of ourselves. We can show kindness to strangers. We can show love to everyone all around us. We can just, in general, be good people and better ourselves and better our communities. These are things that we can do regardless of how corrupt the state is or how bad a pandemic is or you know how bad the economy gets. Uh, regardless of any of that stuff, we have control over our own lives to a large extent, even in these dystopian scenarios. And so I guess I would encourage us all to uh, take advantage of that, to take the reins of your own life, your own education. We've mentioned that being a big issue in today's world. Well, we can do that. We can educate ourselves. We can institute measures to uh, be a little more self-sustaining, to uh, help other people around us. And that's a positive thing. And it really is not going to get shut down no matter what scenario plays out, how good or how bad it is, we have that power either way. And uh, hopefully a lot of us will take that and we'll do that and we will better ourselves and better those around us. And so uh, that's a positive thing that uh, could and hopefully will play out. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's a beautiful the, thought. I yes. hope so. That's the are we there yet spirit. That's what we like to hear. Oh, um, 100% agree, Joshua. Um, all I can say is thank you for coming on to this episode. It's been, thank you, this is such a topic that I've been wanting to kind of explore and go into. And uh, you're the perfect guest to kind of delve into this issue with. So thank you for taking the time uh, to talk to us once again. And please tell people again where they can listen to your fantastic podcast. 
Yeah, so my podcast is Our Foundations on really any podcast player or ourfoundations.podbean.com. And like I mentioned at the front, uh, season one is kind of an overview of these types of topics, politics, economics, the education system. And season two is this parallel. And in the end of this parallel is technocracy. And so I haven't quite gotten there in my show um, as of this recording, at least. But um, I'm headed that direction. I've definitely touched on it multiple times. And so if anybody is interested, please check it out. And thank you guys both for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. And I feel honored and humbled that you have such praises for me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Joshua, thank you for coming. That was our interview with Joshua. Both parts done and dusted. We hope you enjoyed them. I feel like both parts brought a lot of interesting information from what's happening now and also what is happening in the future. Ines, thoughts, final, final kind of feelings about what we discussed? I liked all of it very much. And I want to say that obviously, I, I think through the entirety of this podcast, we are not very certain about anything and that no. is a good thing i think it's a it's a period of doubt for everybody and it's cool to be able to sort of set it out and set out our arguments and our contradictions and kind of everyone together you know try to figure out what we think about things it is a complicated situation so it's good to think out loud yeah th this is the whole point of this podcast it, it's like a little time capsule of recapping what's going on you can go back and listen two episodes ago and we're in a different situation then than we are mm -hmm. now as i was saying in that interview it, it's interesting to see the tonal shift of people's attitudes of self-improvement and all of this kind of stuff which we mentioned in the productivity episode to now a lot more of a frustration and, and building within yeah. so by the time we get to episode eight it'll be interesting to see how different it is as well nice nice um but that's the end of this episode thank you very much for listening please head on over to apple podcast spotify wherever you listen subscribe leave good reviews and uh, share it around to friends as well to, to kind of listen up and get educated on these matters that are going on we appreciate your support it's been fantastic and uh we, we really can't say thank you enough and thank you to joshua it's uh it's, it's been great so and obviously my fantastic wonderful amazing co-host ines can't do it without you thank you max no thank you um, I literally cannot do it without you. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Until then, and I mean this, stay safe, everyone. And we hope you have a fantastic week. Hopefully everything starts to calm down, a bit of normalcy, and uh, we see some genuine progress in, in what's happening in the world. So until then, have a wonderful week. From all of us here, are we there yet? Goodbye and good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs>